All right, my friend. Welcome once again to another episode here, the Red Delta Project podcast, live feed Q&A, helping to simplify fitness by taking a fundamental approach to diet and exercise. I'm Matt Schifferly from the Red Delta Project, as always, of course. And today's topic, we are discussing five ways that I see people time and time again shortchange their ability to make good on their goals for change. We're coming up on New Year's and New Year's a couple of days away here. And to be honest with you, I never really get a whole lot of folks coming to me with the whole New Year's resolution thing. Uh, I don't really have much of an uptick in business when it comes to the new year. People getting to the gyms and getting in shape. A lot of people are like, oh, you must be so busy at the beginning of January. And honestly, no, uh, partially because I think that has to do with a little bit more of the demographic that I'm serving. Uh, over the years, especially out here in Denver, I've gravitated a little bit more towards uh, some of the uh, the boutique kind of gyms, if you will, or as my former employee used to call, call them bougie gyms, the fancy gyms. And you don't get a whole heck of a lot of folks who are like the New Year's resolutionists of that. Typically, uh, come January, I'm still seeing the same people, roughly the same number of folks and stuff as I did all year long. And that's because I think you see more of that uptick in the New Year's resolution and stuff with the, the mass merchant fitness, if you will, the, the Globo gyms, the box gyms, the budget gyms, like the Planet Fitnesses and the Choose Fitnesses and stuff like that. Not, not to throw shade anywhere, of course, that's, that's fantastic. But uh, usually I find the individuals who are typically going to those types of gyms are the more likely the ones who are the, you know, go in, work out for several weeks, maybe a couple of months, and then be gone by mid-February uh, or mid-March versus the more upscale bougie gyms, so to speak, are the, the individuals who are like, yeah, I work out all year, all the time. I never... I'm not working out. Why? Why was that a thing? <laughs> like people don't work out. The, generally, that's the type of population that I'm serving. So I don't see much of people coming to me in January saying like, okay, time to get in shape. It's like, no, most of the people I am catering to are folks who have been trying to improve their bodies and get in better shape for the past five years straight without any interruption. So why would New Year's be any sort of different? And that's probably one of the first lessons that we can cover today is that when we're looking at making some sort of changes and we're like, I want to lose weight, I want to build the muscle and stuff, this isn't something that turns off and on for such individuals. The people who are successful at making something happen, they're like, yeah, I made this switch. I made this start to, to change. And it was a process that I started 10 years ago. And I've never stopped. It's never been something that has been even thinking of quitting. And I'm going to be discussing in these mistakes on why that does derail people though, on how people do get derailed. Because when it comes to lasting change in anything in life, but especially when it comes to fitness, I've always said to people, it's like, this only works if you can always do it forever. Okay. So I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to have a diet. I'm going to have a workout program. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm like, you have to immediately have that mindset of what are the habits you can always do forever. And if you're adopting these types of habits or the types of diets or workouts, it's like, if I really set my mind to it and I'm really disciplined and I'm really full of willpower, no, you're screwed. What are you still going to be able to do on your worst days? Let's say life is going to hell in a handbasket and it's going to suck royal for the next six straight months, what kind of diet and exercise habits can you still maintain even under those circumstances? Because those are the things that you want to be looking at. And the biggest mistake that people often make is they go after what is supposedly going to be the most effective. What's the best way to lose weight? What's the best way to build muscle? What's the best program? What's the best diet? Totally the wrong approach. Totally the wrong approach. Because Oftentimes, the things that are going to seem like the best and most effective way or what many people will champion is like, oh, this person did this crazy diet and they lost 30 pounds in like six weeks or whatever. Those things are going to be, quote, effective for getting pretty fast results, but they're not sustainable. They're not something that you can maintain. 
And so I want to start off with today's episode with that mindset of this whole diet and exercise habit and uh, these particular strategies and stuff, this only works if you can maintain it all the time forever, okay? That's why I love the calisthenics and the isometrics. That's why I use it to satisfy in the 3P strategy and stuff. Even under the worst of circumstances, you can still keep this ball rolling. You can still keep things going because the more you have to depend on external factors, the more you have to have everything right and perfect and in alignment. It's like, oh, as long as I got a ton of time and a ton of energy and a ton of motivation and, a ton, and all the right foods and everything is perfect in my life, then I can be in shape. It's like, when is that ever going to happen? <laughs> when you're, you're screwed before you even start. So the big mistake is trying to maximize and optimize and get everything as high level as possible because we think that's going to produce the best possible results. And it simply isn't. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for that type of idea. There are certainly times and places in people's lives where they will say, okay, I'm going to literally dedicate my life to getting as lean as possible, to getting as strong as possible, to getting the best possible performance out of it. But they fully understand that this is a very temporary scenario. I'm only going to do this for the next three months and while I'm preparing to step on stage or getting ready for a uh, contest or a championship or something like that. When I was getting ready for the East Coast Championship in collegiate cycling, I spent two months basically dedicating everything I had towards becoming the best biker that I possibly could be. I didn't have much of a social life. I ate, slept, and breathed bike racing. Everything else, social life, friends, girlfriends, everything was a far distant second on the priorities. And I was able to do that partially because I understood I only need to do this for the next two months. And after that, I am certainly not going to be putting in this kind of effort. And yeah, I'm going to lose gains from that. Yes, I'm going to get slower after that. Yes, I'm going to lose a lot of progress after that. But so what? I only need to be fast for that one race. After that, yeah, I can gain another 10 pounds of pure fat and I can get slower and weaker and everything. That's fine because I only need to be good in that race. So there are times and places for that optimization and the maximization and all that sort of thing. But recognize that's a temporary scenario for temporary results. But when it comes to the big stuff, the long-term stuff, like I want to be in shape, I want results I can keep, again, it only works if we address and adopt habits that are pretty easy to maintain forever, or at least something that we can have a framework that we can maintain forever. And if we're not immediately going after it with that type of approach, we're automatically at a huge liability for losing any sort of uh, our hope of what we want. Let's get to a couple of questions. A couple of people coming in with their goals right off the bat. Alex N is saying, my goal for 2024 is to improve my cardiovascular capacity. Very good. I uh, was not that uh, consistent in the past 10 years of calisthenics training. Fantastic. Good job, Alex. Now, one of the things about uh, cardiovascular conditioning that I used to make, and I find a lot of other people do this, is they think that means they got to do a hell of a lot of cardio. And like everything else in fitness too, remember that your cardiovascular capacity is going to be specific to the activities that you do as well. So a good question you may want to ask yourself, Alex, is, well, cardiovascular conditioning for what? Like it happens all the time in Taekwondo where people would be like, I run marathons. I can run forever. I do 10Ks and everything. And as soon as they step into the sparring ring in Taekwondo, they're completely gassed and they have no stamina whatsoever for Taekwondo. That's because you have stamina for running. And same thing with me. Like I can ride my bike for hours. I'm a really decent mountain biker. My cardio for mountain biking is awesome. It is absolutely atrocious for running. For me to run a mile is really, really hard. So like with everything else in fitness, it's specific to the activity you're doing. So do we want just general cardio? Do you want cardio for a particular activity? And a lot of times we can uptick our cardio and our 
uh, cardiovascular conditioning with just really simple things. You don't need to be on a treadmill for an hour. Push a weight sled back and forth three or four times. There you go. Circuit train your car, your car, um, your calisthenics. So it was like, well, I usually have this workout. It's like, good, put it in a circuit. Just get the heart rate up. Remember, it's not necessarily any particular type of exercise that creates cardio. It's just a metabolic demand. It's how fast you're producing a metabolic demand relative to rest. So you can do that with almost any type of activity that creates a lot of uh, energy demand on your body, which calisthenics will certainly do it. You can just circuit that up, and that way you don't even need any extra exercise, and you'll save some more time that way. Saeed, it's good to see you as always, saying, hey, Matt, how would you go about a workout by using just one exercise for any chain? For example, uh, push day is uh, push-ups. Uh, what uh, nuances would you concentrate on in such a scenario for building muscle? Yeah, I think that's perfectly fine. So generally what I would do with that is you would just change different exercises for the most part for each workout. So let's say you're doing like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, full body deal. So Monday, you might have push-ups. Wednesday, you might have dips. Friday, you might have handstand push-ups. Because I know there's a lot of like, oh, there's so many different exercises. There's so many different types of techniques out there. For the most part, they're just slight variations of the same fundamental movement pattern. For the most part, everything just boils down to push, pull, squat. And then we've got horizontal and vertical pushing and pulling. So fundamentally, there's only like six real exercises, really different exercises that we do with our body. And then everything is just a variation of it. And to be perfectly with, honest, those variations usually aren't really big enough to really matter one way or the other. So if you have one exercise, let's say push-ups, then yeah, have a different angle of attack that you're using with a different, uh, different workout that you're doing. You could do it that way. Most people don't need more than one exercise per chain per workout. If you do have a couple different exercises, you want to change it up in such a way that you're really creating a much broader stimulus. The big mistake that people make is they'll have five different quote exercises, but they're so similar that it's too much redundancy. You see this a lot of times, and I addressed this in the video series I just did over the Christmas holiday, where people will have like five different push-up variations or pull-up variations, where they're changing up the width, or they're changing up their hands and stuff. And honestly, the, the variation is so slight and small that you're really not doing anything that different. You're not like, gonna create a completely different result from that. So we want to avoid this idea of like, oh, it's a different exercise. I remember years ago, I went to a, a house of someone I was installing a treadmill and they had one of those new uh, Bowflexes. At the time it was brand new. I was like, oh wow, this is one of these things that I was all impressed. Like they say you can do like five bazillion exercises on this, it's great, can I? And they're like, yeah, check out the manual. And I'm like, all right, let's see what we've got here. And it was like, okay, exercise number one, shoulder width overhand pull downs. Exercise number two, wider overhand pull downs. Exercise number three, narrower overhand pull downs. I'm like, it's the same thing. It was like 15 different variations of the same thing. So really there's only like five or six truly unique exercises that we do with our body and everything's just a variation. So in that case, I always tell people just change up the variation as, however you see fit for the sake of variety and novelty. But just having one thing uh, per workout, that's perfectly fine. And Alex follows up saying, improving cardiovascular capacity just for health benefits. I do cardio at home, run, bike, swim, uh, bike tours. Fantastic. I want to uh, be jack of all cards, but a master of none when it comes to cardio. Yeah, it's easier to do with cardio than with strength sometimes too. So Mistake number one, we'll, we'll jump right into it before I get too distracted with your questions here. Uh, by far, the biggest reason why people will fail this year in getting what they want, and failure to lose the weight, failure to build the muscle, by far the biggest reason why they will fail is because they are simply working too hard. Too much effort. They're putting too much into it. And I know there's that idea of hard work always pays off. No, it doesn't. It very often does not. We always want to look at hard work as a shrewd investment. You don't ever want to work, but just throw work into things, assuming it's going to pan out because it very often does not. 
And uh, we want to also make sure that we're doing work that is in alignment with our goals. Just because something's hard doesn't mean it's worthwhile. You see this a lot in fitness where people will say, oh, I love this. It works so hard. It feels like it's hard. It's like, yeah, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's effective. There's a million ways we can kick your ass and have it mean nothing at all in relative to your goals. And that's how people can literally work their ass off for the next six months, do quote everything right. And then at the end of the six months, realize nothing has happened. <laughs> not, well, nothing as far as their goals, that they're not losing weight, they're not building muscle, they're not getting what they want because they're working hard in the wrong ways. And it also boils down to the simple ratio of cost to benefit ratio. As I talk about in my latest book, Be Fit, Live Free, there's a whole chapter here on motivation because your ability to get the results you want will live or die by your ability to maintain motivation. If you don't have motivation to continue your habits, your chances of getting what you want are practically zero. And if you have high motivation, then your chances are exponentially better. And a big reason why people lose motivation is because they're investing far too much hard work and they're not getting enough back out of it. Because that's always what our emotional balance sheet is about. Our subconscious, emotional subconscious is always weighing what are you putting into this versus what are you getting out of it? And if you're investing a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort and a lot of energy and you don't really feel like you're getting much out of it, your motivation is going to crater. And there's not anything out there that's going to save you from absolute failure when that happens. Nobody can resist that. And nor should you. you know? When your motivation is tanking and you want to stop, then you'd better make some changes or you had better stop. Because our emotional subconscious is literally telling you what you're doing is not worth the investment. What you're doing is not panning out. You should stop this. And no, it's not a sign of being disciplined or tough to keep going. It's a sign of stupidity. That's foolishness, as I wish I had known back in the day, because it means that you should be making some changes. And to just blindly keep forcing yourself to do things that your motivation is tanking for is not a good scenario. That is not a good play that you want to have. And one of the reasons why that motivation is tanking is just you're working too hard. You're investing too much of your time and energy and effort for what you're doing. So that's why, again, I'm always a big fan of super simple, super easy and efficient approaches when it comes to diet and exercise. The easier you can make it to get the productivity you need out of your diet and exercise habits, the better. Easier is always better. Flat out. The less work you need to do, the better. If you can get a good stimulus to build muscle with half the time and energy and effort, great. Anything you can do to get that number down of how much work and effort it takes you, better. Good. Awesome. Because a lot of us are already running ragged as far as our use of our resources. Many of us are already living, quote, paycheck to paycheck when it comes to how much energy we have, how much time we have. I don't know anybody who's like, oh, I've got so much free time and so much energy. I don't know what to do with it. And oh, money, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I've got all this money in my bank account. I have nothing to do with it. I have no idea. Maybe some people do, but we're already with busy schedules. We're already taxing our lifestyles and our mind and body to a very high degree. So when our strategy is literally to work as hard as possible and tax it even more, you're two, two and a half strikes against you before you even come to the plate. And that's one of the biggest things that kills off resolutions and goals is because if you're already starting off and you're running yourself ragged and your motivation is already on a tenuous tipping point away from having the motivation to do things, well, of course, you're not going to have much of a chance of success with that. But if you can flip it and make things a lot easier and simpler, and again, adopt habits that are relatively easy to maintain for a very long period of time, your chances of success are much, much higher. Mark, it's good to see you. Hey, Matt, uh, love the micro workouts. Yeah, micro workouts, another example. Keep it short. But would uh, similar benefits happen if I do this with cardio 
as we've been talking. Yes, I started running just a mile every morning soon after I wake up. Will this improve my cardio ability? Well, again, we got to get specific on what does cardio ability mean? Do we mean being able to run a lot longer? Do we mean being able to run faster? So a lot of times, again, it, it boils down to practicality. Some people could be like, dude, I can run a marathon. I'm like, great, that's awesome. Why though? <laughs> like, why do you need the, to run for that long kind of thing? It, most of us don't have that need, even athletes. It's like, I only need to be able to last 20 minutes uh, on a, a particular type of activity. Back, again, back to Taekwondo. A sparring match is two minutes long. Let's say in a tournament, I'm in four matches. Okay, that's eight total minutes. Okay, so why in the world would I need the stamina to do something for four hours when I need to last eight minutes? In which case, I need to go at a much higher level intensity. So your mile is perfectly fine. In fact, I would say time yourself. See if you can run it exponentially faster and faster and faster. If you run that mile well enough, you should get to the end of that mile and be like, that was everything I had. There was nothing else in the tank at the end of that mile. So again, be specific about, well, effective for what? What do you want to accomplish out of it? Do you want to have stamina? Do you want to have intensity? Do you want to have the ability to do something without your legs cramping up and uh, feeling like they're going to fall off? You know, what type of performance are you looking for? But yeah, short-term cardio is great. Skipping rope. Uh, again, the, the circuit training stuff, uh, doing something with a little bit of metabolic style weightlifting stuff, uh, kettlebell snatches and things of that nature. What's the old joke? You know, what do you do for your workouts? Well, I lift weights. What do you do for cardio? I lift weights quickly. <laughs> That'll jack your heart rate up pretty high. So you can definitely get a great cardio workout in a matter of minutes. It doesn't need to be an hour. Mariano, it's good to see you. Saying, hey, Matt, uh, common mistakes when performing uh, walking lunges and how to correct them. Fantastic question. So one of the biggest mistakes that I often see people make is they keep rolling their weight to the ball of the foot. Remember, lunges are squats. Okay? Do a set of squats. See how you move. How do your hips move? Where do your knees go? How's your weight distribution on your legs? Okay, do a, like a set of 10 squats and stuff. Now do a set of lunges. And ideally, your legs should be doing the exact same thing, just alternating. Lunges are just alternating squats. That's all they are, or at least that's all they should be. If there's a big difference, you need to change something about how you're lunging. So the way I always cue it is when you do a lunge, particularly like a walking lunge, you step forward and bang, that's it. That's all the forward momentum you got. And then you literally squat down onto your front leg and your back leg is just stabilizing. The cue I always give people is ass to ankle. Squat movement patterns are just ass to ankle, just getting your hips closer to your heels and then pushing them away. That's all squat movement patterns are for everything. doesn't matter if it's pistol squats, shrimp squats, lunges, squats, leg press, leg extension, leg... All squat movement exercises are ass to ankle and then further apart. So when you're lunging, do the exact same thing. How close can you get your butt to the heel of the front foot? And don't let the weight roll onto the ball of the foot. When you are putting the weight on that front leg, it should be just as if you're squatting. Exactly the same thing. It shouldn't move around anywhere. So I always tell people your weight should be to the front of your heel or the back of the arch of your foot. That way you get a little bit of weight on your, the ball of your foot. Because sometimes when people are like, oh, keep your weight on your heels, they're like way back on their heels, and then you lose a lot of stability and stuff, and that's too much. Just to the front of your heel. And if you can do that, your lunges are going to be a hell of a lot more effective and more comfortable and a lot more, uh, little, I would say, safer for the joints, but just easier on the joints. Mr. Pink saying... Do, do, do. Unbroken intervals. So when it comes to effectiveness, you know, we're again, the big mistake, folks, again, don't get lost in what is the most effective way to do something. That is a huge mistake because what's effective for one person may not be effective for the other. Remember, the only thing 
an exercise or diet habit needs to do in order to be effective is to influence the fundamental process of mother or human nature. That's all it needs to be. It could be anything, you know, but if you, for whatever reason, someone could be like, okay, lunges are the greatest leg exercise in the world. But if for whatever reason you have a hard time influencing the process with lunges, they're a terrible exercise for you because the majority of what will make something effective is whether or not it puts you personally into personal alignment of how well you can influence the fundamental process that's actually in charge of your results. Your results don't come from the exercises you do. Your results don't come from your workout or your diet or whether or not you eat certain foods. Those things are important, but only so far as you're influencing the fundamental process that is in charge of your fitness. So don't get caught up. You know, a lot of times when we're trying to figure out how do I get in shape, I want to make this New Year's resolution thing happen. We get lost trying to figure out, quote, what's most effective. And that often leads to paralysis by analysis. And one person says, this is effective. And the other person says, no, it's not effective. And you can do it with this. And the other person says, no. And it's all run around rigmarole that doesn't lead you anywhere. And it's all guesswork anyway. Instead, you want to pay attention to your own personal benefits. You could, we're talking about cardio. You could be looking at running and being like, gosh, I don't know what it is, but running is just, my, my joints hurt. I don't like this. This isn't it quite doing it for me. But then you drag out the rusty kettlebell and a jump rope from the basement and you set up a little circuit where you're like, okay, Tabata, here we go. I'm going to do kettlebell swings and then skipping rope for a minute. And then you just blast through that and you're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Does that mean kettlebell swings and jumping rope is better and more effective for cardio? No. Is it more effective for you? Yes. That's what you base it off of. It's not supposedly what's effective. It's what's effective for you and what's going to put you in better alignment. Zaid is asking, Matt, uh, <clears throat> uh, New Year's resolution is reducing my chocolate intake. Any advice uh, to not fail? So remember, we are all products of our environments, folks. And so right now, I've got a candy drawer full of stuff that just accumulated on me during the holidays. I've got licorice and I've got chocolate and I've got cookies and I've got all kinds of snacks and things like that in my candy drawer right now. Now, I don't really see a need to reduce my chocolate intake. I have a little bit of chocolate most every day. I enjoy it, but it's not something that's a problem or, or any sort of a big influence in my diet, so I don't need to worry about it. But if it is an issue for you, and you're like, dude, if I have a chocolate bar in the house, it's gone like that, and I've, uh, like that, then don't have chocolate in the house. You can't eat it if it's not there kind of thing. doesn't mean you can't have chocolate. It means you go out for it. it means you, you fill up your car and you go into the, the store and it's like, oh, they've got you know this Reese's Christmas trees still here. Okay, so you grab one of those as a special treat. And that way you can still have your chocolate but you're not having it around you so much that you're going to eat a whole heck of a lot of it. Keep it out of your environment is probably the best thing that you can do. Don't rely on your willpower. Build the environment to be in alignment with your goals. T.S. Long is saying, oh, back and forth. Alex coming back on saying, hey, Matt, how often do you train your neck? Is it the same as any other muscle group? I'm all self-conscious about my neck. <laughs> um, I mean, that's one of the great things about calisthenics, though, is that our orientation to gravity is always changing. We're not like always upright in a nice, seated, comfortable position, like if we were using weight machines and stuff. So we're prone, we're supine, we're side planking and stuff like that. We're doing things where our, our torso is like this. So in that regard, you're always training your neck. You're, you're always using, utilizing your neck whenever you're uh, doing your calisthenics because you're changing your orientation to gravity, which means you're changing your head and neck orientation to gravity. Happens a lot whenever I give people side plank training where I'll give them a side plank and they'll be like that where their head will be aside and it's because they don't have the, the neck strength to hold their neck up for 30 seconds or however long they're holding it like that. So in that regard, that's that's the type of neck training that I do is just whatever neck strength is needed to do the exercise, in which case that's all the time. I don't do any neck specific things though. Uh, if, if that's what you're, you're looking for that. 
Zayed. Uh, now he's coming back on saying, hey, Matt, thanks for your attention to our questions. So much detail enthusiasm. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for the appreciation. Okay, so mistake number two here, resolution killing ideas. We talked about how the number one biggest reason why people fail, of course, is they're just working too hard. They're investing way too much time and energy and effort, and they're not getting enough out of it. So the best way to avoid that is live well within your means. Don't spend all of your time and your energy and stuff and use methods that are as easy to stick to as possible. doesn't mean you're not going to be working hard. Of course, you're going to be working hard. Of course, you're going to be putting a lot of effort into it, but be prudent about it. Don't just mindlessly tax yourself and assume it's going to work out because it often doesn't. Uh, so then the other thing is not enough direction in what you're doing. And this goes along with what I was saying earlier, is making sure that your efforts are in alignment with what you want to have happen. That's why I was kind of asking a couple of you back then where you're like, oh, I want to have a better shape and cardio. It's like, can you get more specific on exactly what you're what you mean by that? So does better cardio mean I feel better and have better energy after like climbing a flight of stairs? Does that mean I can run longer? Does it mean I can run faster? Does that mean I have more wind in free sparring? Does it mean that I can carry the groceries without being exhausted? Those sorts of questions. The more direction you can get towards exactly what you want, the more you can say no to the stuff that really is in alignment with your goals and your objectives. Like, for example, years ago when I was creating the Grind Style Calisthenics program, I started to outline like, okay, the whole point of this is to get the best chance of building pure muscle and strength with bodyweight training. Full stop. Like that's, that's what I want. If it's not conducive towards that, I don't want it in the program. I don't care at all about it. It's kind of like the old, uh, the, the, that book, the boys in the boat, they got a book, uh, movie coming out about it now. And they would always say, will it make the boat go faster? You know, should we go out tonight and party? Will it make the boat go faster? No. Okay. Then we don't go out and party kind of thing. Sometimes being able to prune the habits and say no to various things can be just as effective as knowing what to focus on. So when I started to create grind style calisthenics, I was like, so a lot of things in calisthenics is not necessarily the easiest way to really challenge and tax the muscles. You know, things like, oh, I'm working on my one arm handstand and can I get a muscle up and all these sorts of things. Yeah, fine, good stuff to work on. But you know, if you came to me and you're like, I really want to build up my shoulders, I'm not going to give you freestanding handstands. I'm going to give you whatever type of dynamic type of you know, handstand style push-up, pike push-ups, whatever, until you're basically peeling yourself off the floor. That's what I'm going to give you. The low skill, low technically challenging types of exercises that basically are you're trying to train essentially like a bodybuilder. So that was something that gave me direction in creating that program. Was if someone's like, yeah, but what if I wanted to be able to do like a planche? I'm like, okay, great, awesome. Yeah, you can definitely train for that. But I'm sure as hell not going to give you that if you came to me looking to build muscle and strength. It makes you really good at planches. But if you were like, I want to build up my shoulders, I'm like, there's five other exercises that are going to be a lot simpler and easier way of doing that than trying to finagle our way with the technical requirements and the skills of doing a planche. So the more direction you can have in what you want to accomplish, the more you can say, no, that's not conducive and that's not conducive and that's not conducive and all these other things. And again, a lot of times people, they don't have direction and they default a lot of times to just doing whatever feels hard. Remember, we default to doing just a whole lot of work and putting in a lot of effort when we don't know what we're doing. So if we don't know what we're doing, it's like, well, that's going to kick my ass. I'm sure that's going to produce something. And again, you're crossing your fingers and hoping by luck that hard work is going to pay off. Again, it oftentimes does not. And when you get more direction and precise on what you want, it's amazing how little you actually have to do. It's amazing how much you can actually say no to, which is very, very empowering. Cristobal is asking, hey, Matt, uh, happy holidays, my friend. Thank you very much. 
What's your opinion on uh, doing full body five days per week? Is it good? idea for building muscle. Yeah, you could do anything you want. Remember, it's always just a cycle. You know, you tax everything and then you recover, tax it and recover, tax and recover. And you can do it any way that you want, really. You can work a muscle once a week. You can work it every single day. You can work it twice a day and stuff. It's just a matter of how much do you need to recover. You don't need to recover from exercise. You just need to recover from fatigue. And there's a million types of influential variables on how much uh, type, uh, how much recovery you need. One person out there can run a mile a day and they're fine and it's awesome. The other person, they run a mile and they're like, I'm going to have to give myself a few days. Depends on age, depends on build, depends on conditioning, depends on intensity, depends on weather, depends on a hundred other things. Sometimes I can go out for a mountain bike ride and it's beautiful, gorgeous fall weather out here in Colorado. And the next day I'm like, hey, I'm good. I feel like I could go again. So go again. Other days, it is 90 degrees and the heat index is through the roof and I come home and I can barely move for the rest of the day. And the next day, I wake up like death warmed over. Well, you better give yourself a couple days then. So yeah, again, we get lost into, and this is uh, probably mistake number three. We'll jump right into it then, a little bit of a transition, is we're trying to do things right as opposed to doing things effectively. So when we are looking at different programs, like oh, you know, what if I train five times a week? Would that be, uh, a, a, would that build muscle? What if I train once a week? Would I build muscle? So, no, 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 no. We're, again, we're getting lost in the weeds. These are not the questions we want to ask because your ability to get results doesn't come from how often you train. It doesn't come from how many sets you do. It doesn't come out how long your workouts are. It comes from how well can you influence the fundamental processes of mother and human nature when it comes to training that's that's the stimulus you create in your training so how can you create an effective stimulus you can do it five days a week you can do it once a week you can do it once every 3.5 days however you want to do it but we get lost sometimes in the weeds of what is quote the right way to do it the effective way thinking there is one right way to do it thinking there is one correct way to do it. Think about it this way. What is the one correct way to like paint a painting, right? If you go to an artist and you're like, what is the correct way to paint a cow? Well, Salvador Dali over here is painting this thing that barely looks like a cow. And then you've got Claude Monet and then you've got 15 other artists and they've all got their own ways of painting a cow, right? But what good would that do them to say, well, this is all wrong. You didn't paint it right. <laughs> you, you didn't paint it correctly. It's not a correct cow, right? How much of a disservice would that be to the art world? How much would we lose with that? Because they're not worried about painting a cow correctly. They want to paint a cow effectively in what they're trying to portray in their mind, right? And someone once said Van Gogh painted A Starry Night but he didn't paint it how he saw it. He painted it how he perceived it. The, that was the starry night inside him, how it was making him feel. And so that's one of the reasons why that's such an iconic painting. Same thing with exercise. The moment we start to get really focused on what's the correct way to program this workout, we're done. We're dead. We're screwed. We're absolutely dead in the water because your results don't come from doing it correctly. They come from doing it effectively, and that's going to change on you. What's effective this week is going to maybe be a different from what's effective next year. The exercises you use, how much fun. You could be doing things great, working a full body every day for the next six months, and then what you're going to inevitably find is like, well, now it's going to be more effective if I do a split routine on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday or maybe two splits and then a full body or whatever. When you get more focused on doing things effectively instead of correctly, things change very fast because you're no longer concerned about doing things the perfect, correct formula. Instead, you're looking at your circumstances saying, how do I create the strongest stimulus possible with this on a consistent basis? How do I make my body work hard and effectively in a progressive way? When you approach it with that question, then the answers get a lot more obvious to you. And again, it's about your personal alignment. It's going to be better for me now to work my body full body 
five days a week. And then after six weeks, you're like, yeah, but that fifth day, boy, I am dead tired and I'm just going through the motions. Okay, four days a week. Well, what if it's all four in a row versus Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday? Okay, well, what do you think? And again, a lot of times the answers, they get obvious. Like, oh, I feel like I'm going to be better off Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay, then do it that way. If you have an inkling in a certain direction of, I just feel like I can do it better if I do it this way, well, you're probably going to be right. You're probably going to find that's going to be better for you. And Cristobal is following up. What is your opinion of most important things in fitness that people should care about? Well, as, as I was talking about earlier, like consistency is the, the biggest thing. Like you've got to have habits that are relatively easy to maintain for extremely long periods of time, years. If you don't have that, nothing else matters. No, I don't care what program you're on. I don't care the science behind your diet and everything. And gosh, the number of times people have said, I know the best diet. I know the best thing that's out there. The science says this is the best way to lose weight. Like, well, if it's so great, why aren't you doing it? If the end of the day, your ability to consistently do it is the bottleneck, of course. And it's like, it's the best diet in the world, but you're not doing it. Well, you know, life got a little crazy. If you can't stick to it, it's a bad plan. Full stop. If you can't consistently do it with relative ease, it is full on a bad plan. It is not going to get you what you want. The ability for a plan to get you what you want is what you judge its effectiveness off of. Again, we get too caught up in, I want to do it the right way. I want to do it the correct way. I want to do it supposedly the optimal way. If you're not taking consistent action, then it is not a good plan. I could say, okay, great cardio workout is doing burpees five minutes every single day. If you're not willing to do it, if you are not doing it on your own, as most of us are not, you know, being pushed by someone else, if you're not doing it with the gusto and the uh, type of motivation to really put it, it it's, it's still a bad plan. <laughs> it's still bad. And it could be the worst science in the world, but if you're still applying it, that's still better. <laughs> it's still a lot better. You could come to me all the time saying, well, your kettlebell swings and jump rope plans, not the as effective for burning fat and calories as you know, going for a run according to the science. So what? If you're willing to do it, then it's going to be better. It's that simple. So being able to prioritize that consistent action is number one. Number two, by far, is, again, just doing too much stuff that has nothing to do with the goals and just uh, being very prudent about what you're putting your efforts to. I really, really, really feel like people are not being, uh, I can't quite think of the, the word, but we're not looking at the work we're doing with enough discernment out there. Like we got to look at it like a very shrewd business owner. And it's like, okay, Johnson, what are you doing here? You know, at this company, are you worth your paycheck? Kind of, kind of stuff It's like, oh no, you're slacking off all the time. All right, you're fired. Don't be afraid to fire exercises. Don't be afraid to fire habits. We want to be looking at everything that we're doing on a regular basis and look at those habits and be like, you better damn well be worth it. You better be 10Xing your value. I better be getting 10 times the reward for the amount of effort I invest in doing this. Because ideally, the best habits are the ones we have to put hardly any work and effort into, and yet they produce fantastic returns. That's what we're looking after. But instead, we get so caught up and I don't know what I'm doing, therefore I have to rely on whatever whatever takes a lot of work and effort. And in that case, we will often fall like for the temptation of, well, this is a whole lot of effort, but it doesn't matter if it's going to return anything of value or not. We're basing it off of how much effort it takes. And we think there's value in hard work. And that's when we get really screwed. We want to have low effort higher return. And we want to always be very, very, very uh, much of a stickler about exactly that. You'd better be paying off kind of stuff. T.S. Long, it's good to see you. Hey, Matt, I'm doing Isomax, trying to put on about 15 to 20 pounds, 5 to 10 pounds. 
Very good, 140. And was wondering uh, if heavy hands type cardio two times a week for 60 minutes, do you have an opinion on weights with cardio? It's typically uh, just overrated. Again, that's generally one of those things that feels like it's a lot of effort and it's not worth it. And now rucking is an example, is a different example. Like, you know, my ruck packs here, rucking is a big thing because it's not really any different from what you were doing before. You're just going out for a walk and you've got a weighted backpack on or a vest or, of some sort. And then it's increasing the intensity of what you're doing. Uh, but you, you don't even need the pack for that. I just say go faster. <laughs> you know, out here in Colorado, we've got mountains. You, know, you just go up a mountain. It's going to kick your ass. <laughs> we've got 14ers out here. No one in their right mind is ever going to hike up a 14er and going, gosh, I wish I was wearing 40 pounds on my back to make this more of a challenge. It's, it's always going to be a challenge. So yeah, generally cardio is better off without the extra weight. Generally, it's going to be safer. It's going to be less taxing on your joints. It's going to be easier on just your pocketbook and you're just having less equipment to deal with and stuff. Uh, I have this ruck pack largely just so that if I go for a walk downtown, it gives me a little bit of something extra, but it's not really going to ma matter that much. It's going to make basically make the exercise feel a lot harder without making it really all that much more effective. Uh, and uh, it, again, if you want it more effective, you go faster. <laughs> you know, run faster. I could wear that ruck pack when I'm out on my mountain bike, or I could just pedal faster. <laughs> I could just try and ride faster. It's the same thing. So uh, yeah, generally it's not worth it in my opinion. Joseph Bell is saying, my goal is to get my legs stronger the next year. I find that legs hard to work and fatigue. So you've got to, yeah, leg training is hard, my friend. Uh, so let's look at a few things you can do to make it easier. Number one is just pick one main exercise. You just need one. Some squat variant is typically what you need. Uh, so that's there. A lot of times people will have way too many leg exercises, too taxing on the system in general. Uh, second is make sure that you've got your progressive techniques down. If you're doing it with calisthenics and stuff, we've got to make it hard, got to make it heavy. Typically, if again, there's an exercise, like I could do 20 reps. Okay. You need something heavier. You need it harder. Like you're not going to build up your legs to be very good and strong. If you're always doing things, you can do 20, 30, 40 reps with. You've got to have something that you can go pretty darn heavy with. And uh, the progressive calisthenics techniques you want to be well-versed with. Uh, third is make sure that you are making the techniques manageable, stability-wise, and uh, you know, balance and stuff. If you're trying pistol squats and you're always wobbling all over the place, how in the world are you going to be able to sufficiently tax your muscles hard enough when you're stability is the limiting factor. It's good for trying to improve your stability, but most people, you know, in my opinion, most people have no business doing pistol squats. I very rarely will see someone doing pistol squats and being like, yep, that's a suitable exercise for them. Very rarely, very, very rarely will that be the case. Most people are better off doing things like the hover lunges, doing things like step ups, maybe just letting the heel touch down, that sort of thing make it easy to make work the leg hard. And if it's not, then we need to make some changes. Joseph saying, hey, uh, leg strong this year. Uh, also as well, I find the legs hard to fatigue for now. I'm going, I'm doing squats. I've done lunges in the past and some one leg squats. Yep. And generally I find that the leg stuff is where most people should be if possible uh, adding in some weighted stuff as well. Because most people, they just don't have the coordination, stability, and mobility in the lower body to sufficiently tax the legs with their body. And it's not to say that it's hard, but most people, again, can't do pistol squats to save their life. Most of the time when people are doing more advanced leg stuff, uh, it's a skill. Again, you want to make those leg muscles scream bloody murder. You want to really, really tax them. 
And most people just don't have the stability and the mobility to adequately do that. Um, It's just something that is forever limiting them. Hell, most people, I would argue, you don't even have it with conventional weightlifting. You go to a regular gym and you probably be there all day without seeing anybody doing a decent back squat or even, like I said, decent lunges and stuff. Leg training is an art. And it is simple. It's not terribly complicated, but most of us have horrible stability and hip control. And as a result, that compromises our ability to effectively work our lower body. So that's one of the reasons I'm a big fan of sissy squats too. They're very low skill, low technical requirement, and they will blast the mother living hell out of your quads more than almost anything else out there. So if you're looking at, I just want to build up my thighs and stuff, sissy squats, suspension hamstring curls, don't knock them. They are effective leg builders. And then you can use some of the bigger uh, compound movements as more of like a finisher. It's a good strategy for a lot of folks. But yeah, don't be afraid to have uh, some of the, the weighted stuff that you can use. Because if we can't really load it very well due to technical challenges, load that sucker up and grab some dumbbells. Ryan K. say, Matt, what about uh, yielding isometrics, uh, isometric flow, or is it just uh, yoga? Yeah, it's just yoga. It, 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 you know, if you're moving, it's not isometrics. <laughs> Kind of thing. I, I'm assuming you're talking about going from one uh, isometric and then to another and then to another and then to another kind of thing. And that's just doing isometrics. And you're just going from one exercise to the other. But uh, yielding isometrics flow, yeah, it's it's yoga, <laughs> pretty much. Doesn't mean it's bad or anything, but uh, I wouldn't rely on it for building much muscle and strength. Uh, when it comes to, you know, again, we got to really tax the hell out of the muscles. It takes a lot more work on the muscle to build it up than people realize sometimes. M-O-T-U. Motu, hey Matt, good to see you as well as you, my friend. Uh, there are some uh, prominent health fitness people out there who make reference to making sure you intake 40, 50 grams protein four times per day. What's your view on this? Yeah, it's always guesswork. Any type of diet and exercise recommendation is always based on estimated guesswork because we're all different. We all have different requirements and the requirements are always changing to at least some degree. So it's, yeah, sure, fine. One, 40, 50 grams, four times a day. Yeah, sure, fine, whatever. 20 grams, four times a day. Sure, fine, whatever. Does it really matter? Not really. You know, because remember that fundamentally, Nutrition is really simple. You have a certain amount that you can make use of, of anything. That's not protein. That's just everything. That's every vitamin, mineral, carbs, fat, water, everything. That's how food, if your body can use it, great. It's good for you. Go for it. If you have no use for it, well, it's not going to do you any good. And you're probably just going to, it's either going to go to waste or be stored. Right. And so there's no number that's ever going to work for people. It's never going to be, well, this is how much you actually need. It's like, no, all of this is, is guesswork. They're guessing. They are flat out guessing. And they're basing it on studies and assumptions and this and that and the other thing. Forget about all this stuff. This is n- usually not a practical way to go about it. If you try and, again, do things right, you're not going to figure out how to do things effectively. So don't worry about that stuff. First and foremost, and again, this is where stability comes into play. Most people are trying to eat right and they have no idea how to eat effectively. So it doesn't matter if you do it right. (laughs) Instead, just simply first and foremost, just get your diet consistent. That when I was studying nutrition in college, that was every single class. It didn't matter if you were losing weight. It didn't matter if it were managing an eating disorder. It didn't matter if it was athletes or senior nutrition or whatever. Every single professor and every plan, every single time was just get your diet consistent first. It's like before you have that, nothing else you ever do is going to matter a hill of beans. So try and go with whatever you find that you can work but generally it's breakfast lunch and dinner get some regular meals in breakfast lunch and dinner okay and then from there i'm always telling people make sure you're getting protein at each meal something doesn't matter i don't care what it is don't get lost in that rabbit hole of 
you know, animal protein versus plant protein, whatever, eat whatever the hell you want. Just eat whatever you like. Eat food you like. It's the second rule of good nutrition. You got to eat food you just like to eat. And uh, then if you're like, well, do I need more? Well, if you're consistent, then just increase your, your portions. I usually have two eggs for breakfast, okay? Bump it up to four. See what happens. Right? If, if it is more beneficial, remember this, folks. We're not trying to do things right. We're trying to do things effectively. So if it is more effective to do something, well, if I eat more protein, great. Eat more protein than what is normal. What is normal? Well, then you got to start there. You got to be consistent. But if you have a consistent diet, then you should know what normal is. Then eating more is, is going to be pretty obvious. What is the number with that? If I go from two eggs to four eggs, how many grams of protein is that? Who the hell cares? I don't know. It doesn't matter. You know, it's more. That's the only thing that really matters is, is it more? Okay. Then after doing that for a while, you notice anything? <laughs> is your hunger better during the morning? Do you feel more satisfied? Do you have any digestive issues? Do you feel like you're recovering better from the workouts? You know, all these sorts of things. If it's effective, it had better damn well be pretty obvious. Okay. When it comes to your diet, when it comes to your workouts and stuff, you make a change. If it's a worthwhile change, it should smack you upside the head so hard, it makes your eyes spin and be like, holy smokes, that really improved things. If it's not that, you know, chances are it really doesn't matter that much. And, and that's going to be nine out of 10 times. It's like when I got into isometrics and started doing like grind style approaches and my calisthenics and stuff, that was the reaction I got was within 24 hours of trying isometrics. It's like, holy smokes, my back feels completely different. My activation is on a whole nother level. Wow, my body looks really different in the mirror. Those are the results we're looking for. That's effectiveness. To hell with doing it right. We want things to be effective. And when things become more effective, it had better be very self. You don't need, you know, these trackers and things like that to know if something's working for you. You should be able to feel and know and tell the difference pretty quick. And granted, you're not, that's not going to happen very often. That's not going to really happen to you quite quickly. Most of the time, it's just chipping away at the habits you're already maintaining, the things you're doing right now. But you want to have those pretty self-evident results to really talk to you. So Joseph is following up saying, Matt, do you think weighted lunges are an option with two 20-pound dumbbells is worth trying me even as a finisher? Because, yeah, you got those 20-pound dumbbells, right, Joseph? Um, so, yeah, I'm always a big fan of having some weight you know, if, for a lot of the leg training, but you want as little of it as possible. You still want to make the exercise really, really, really hard on a technical level. So when you're doing your lunges, first off, 20 pounds. Yeah, sure, fine. What are, 100 pounds, whatever. You just load it with what you can. But you want to have those lunges as hard as possible. So make sure you're getting a good, nice, long step. You're loading as much weight as you possibly can on that front leg. As much as you can. Get that knee as far over those toes as you possibly can. Again, while keeping the heel down. You want to basically shift as much weight forward onto that front leg because essentially, again, the lunge is a single leg squat. It should be anyway. <laughs> it shouldn't feel like 50-50. You lunge down or you step forward and then you squat down on that front leg essentially. Now, if you get that right and if you get your heel as close to your, uh, your uh, excuse me, your hip as close to your heel as possible, you should not need a whole heck of a lot of weight to make that challenging. So those 20 pounders will probably be a good place to start. Or just start with the 10 pounder. Hold the 10, uh, hold, excuse me, the 20 pound dumbbell like this, goblet style, and see how that goes. Or even start with just the body weight. Because if you really lunge deep and hard, you're going to probably find you don't need a lot of weight for that sort of thing. Ryan K saying, uh, Matt, with uh, that in mind, I tend to use yoga as the stability phase. Oh, very smart. Yeah. I started using the uh, Isomax for strength that I burn out with push, pull, and squat. Fantastic. This adaption uh, to grind style. Oh, I love that strategy. Yeah. Very, very smart on your part. Very good, Ryan, following up on what we were talking about earlier. <clears throat> 
I think that's a chef's kiss right there, man. Well, well programmed. Good job. Fantastic. Fantastic. Send me a video if you can uh, of that yoga flow that you've got for uh, your stability phase. I'm curious what you're doing. That sounds uh, fantastic. <clears throat> Christopher saying, Matt, which are your top five meals? Let's see. Uh, well, first and foremost, I'm a, just a big sandwich fan. I just I love sandwiches. You can't go wrong with sandwiches. You get that sucker piled high with veggies and stuff, a good protein source, some sort of mayo or oil and vinegar and some herbs and things like that. It's good, hearty, uh, full grain bread and everything. So anything with a sandwich variation is got a win in my book. Uh, second of all is any type of like uh, not so much casseroles, but just literally throw stuff in a pot and cook it up kind of stuff. Stir fries, if you will, kind of stuff. Whenever you look at a lot of ethnic cooking, that type of meal is very prominent. Why? Because it's extremely nutrient dense and a good use of resources. Yeah, I've always had this theory that a lot of traditional ethnic foods are as good as we're ever going to get when it comes to nutrition powerhouses, because they were developed at a time in human history where we had the resources to create culinary inventions, meals. So we weren't just you know hunting a buffalo and it's like, well, we got bison to eat for the next week and a half for the tribe and that's all we're gonna eat. We were able to combine things and create extremely nutritionally satisfying meals. But at the same time, we also were at a point in our history where we didn't have a lot of uh, you know surplus foods that we could just throw anything in there and be like, oh, we you know can make whatever. We needed to be very prudent about our use of things. So that's there. Let's see. I'm a big sushi fan. Love sushi. Can't go wrong with sushi. Any kind of traditional Japanese foods are fantastic. And uh, oof, yeah, I would say the usual stuff outside of that. I like pizza a lot. I think pizza is extremely good. Again, it depends on how you make it, though. You know, pizza is basically a superfood. If you got some really decent cheese, lots of veggies, good protein source, really good uh, whole grain. We've got a, a pizza place here in Denver where I used to live in Littleton, and they would make this wood-fired pizza that was made with the freshest ingredients, locally sourced and everything, and it never failed. Every time I'd go there, I'm like, man, I feel really good after eating that pizza. Like my energy level would be really good. My body would feel really good and stuff. There was no, no downside to it and stuff. So pizza can be really, really healthy if we know what we're doing. All right. I got to start wrapping things up here, folks. But real quick, Joseph Bell is saying, Matt, I have more than 20 pounds of dumbbells. Good. So yeah, start with the light stuff, Joseph. Start light and make it as technically difficult as possible and then utilize the weight as a supplement uh, for everything else. A couple last little things that hold people back. Uh, number one is not learning or coaching anything uh, from what they're trying to do. So a lot of times we have resolutions that are repeat resolutions. Like I'm trying to lose weight, I'm trying to build muscle. Well, didn't you try and do that last year? And the year before that, and the year before that? And a lot of times it's because we're still going off of the same knowledge and beliefs that we've always had. And if you've always, if you're trying again, knowing and believing the same things you have now, you're probably going to end up in the same place you always did before. So that's why we always want to ask ourselves, what's different this time? Okay, you're trying to lose weight this year. Great. How is this different from last year? What's your approach changing? How are you modifying this? Did you learn something from last year? What were the mistakes you made? And no, trying harder is not a good strategy. Like, oh, I'm sure this year I'm just motivated. I'm going to just try really harder and I'm going to stick to the plan. Bad strategy. You want to say, no, last year I couldn't eat well because I still had a ton of junk food in the house. So this year I'm you know, going to keep chocolate out of the house or whatever. Okay, now you actually have some strategy. Now you actually have something you could do. Oh, I'm going to get uh, jacked and strong. Didn't you try and do that last year? Well, yeah, last time I went to the gym and I just did whatever the hell I felt like it and stuff. Now I've got a coach who's going to teach me how to lift properly. Good. Now we've got something different. Now we've got something better. That's going to give you a better chance versus doing the same thing because 
I'm just going to work harder or try harder is never a good strategy. Because <laughs> even if it works, it's only going to work a little bit. And now you're stuck working a lot harder to stay where you're at. So learning or getting some coaching or doing something better from your knowledge and beliefs uh, is, a good, is something that's going to uh, prevent that from happening. And then finally is lastly, no adaptability. I've been talking about this the entire time is we're trying to do things right instead of trying to do things effectively. And when we try to do things right, we usually get caught in a dogmatic or static approach to doing things like this is the correct way to work out. This is the correct diet. This is the correct number of sets and reps and everything. When the reality is people who are successful in what they want, they're always changing. They're always adapting their diet and their exercise to accommodate their circumstance. Their diets are always changing. Their ability to work out is always changing. Their tools, their resources, their exercises, their programs, always in flux. And yeah, there's some consistencies there for sure. But when we're like, this is the one correct way to do things, you're pretty much dead in the water right off the get-go because your ability to do things effectively is always going to change. Sometimes you should be doing more. Sometimes you should be doing less. Sometimes you should be going faster. Sometimes you should be going slower. Sometimes you should be doing something every day. Sometimes you should be working legs once a week kind of thing. And if we don't have any adaptability, then we lose that ability to actually train effectively, to eat effectively. And so having adaptability is saying, okay, today I definitely need to cut back and I'm not going to push myself very hard because I feel like I'm coming down with something. Now we're talking about what we can do to be on the, uh, the mend of things. All right, my friends, I have to get going. I have some appointments. I'm going to go see the new Ferrari biopic, which I'm excited for. It's either going to be great or it's going to be terrible, but who knows? We've got some great movie theaters out here in Denver, and that'll be a good time to take a nap, if nothing else. So thank you so much, everybody. Have a very happy new year uh, to everybody out there. I hope you're having a help, happy healthy and safe new year. And uh, if there's anything I can do, don't forget, reach out to me on the Red Delta Project Instagram. I will talk to you next year. <laughs> Till then, be fit and live free.